this is Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. Our taping is made possible with the support of Raider, a hands-on IT service provider that integrates all of your needs for advanced technical support, effective communication options, and cybersecurity. Raider's motto is, you just want it to work. We understand. Please visit RaiderSolutions.com for more information. The generosity of Oxner Lafayette General also makes this podcast possible. As Acadiana's largest regional health system, including two teaching hospitals and the region's only level two trauma center with more than 5,500 employees, Oxner Lafayette General strives to put patients first and make caring their top priority. In continuous efforts to reach more patients, Oxner Lafayette General provides services throughout Acadiana and facilitates telemedicine throughout the state, making healthcare more accessible for everyone. For more information, visit oxnerlg.org. We're proud to welcome our newest sponsor, Home Bank, where you'll not only find trusted financial advisors, but neighbors who will help you stay ahead of identity thieves. Home Bank encourages you to limit the use of paper checks, which contain your personal or business information, along with your bank account number. When possible, choose to pay with cash, debit, or credit cards, or with your phone's mobile wallet. Learn more at home24bank.com. Our guest is John Bordelon, President and CEO of Home Bank. With 41 years of banking experience, John has led Home Bank to incredible growth during his tenure. He's overseen bank acquisitions, the initial public offering of company stock, and many technological advances in banking. Home Bank employs over 500 bankers across Louisiana, Mississippi, and Texas, and is the third largest bank in Louisiana, with assets of $2.9 billion. On the community front, John has served as chair of the Greater Lafayette Chamber of Commerce and of the UL Alumni Association. He's also served as a board member of the Community Foundation of Acadiana, Southwest Medical Center, United Way of Acadiana, Louisiana Open, Ascension Episcopal School, Women's and Children's Hospital, and the University of Louisiana's Athletic Foundation Advisory Committee. He's the founder of the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation. I also know John personally through all the hard work he's put in over the years with the Greater Southwest Mardi Gras, working to ensure that our annual Mardi Gras celebrations take place as a free event to the public. And John, you and I are friends also through Asbury United Methodist Church, and it's a pleasure to be here with you today. Welcome. Well, thank you for this opportunity. I look forward to having a great discussion. I've looked forward to this, and I also want to take time to thank Home Bank for serving as Discover Lafayette's newest sponsor. Thank you so much. We're very excited about it. We like the program. Me too. So let's, I don't know if a lot of people know um, your background, how you got here in Lafayette. If you can go back, I know you grew up in Metairie, right? I did. Yeah. Um, how did you end up here? Um, kind of a funny story. My brother, who was seven years older than me, came to school here. And um, I came to visit him one time, so he was probably uh, 21 and I was probably 14, so not quite in high school. And I found that the people in Lafayette, Louisiana, were unlike anybody I'd ever met, especially being from New Orleans, where people weren't as friendly. Uh, here, everybody really made a point to introduce themselves to me and, um, and ask me about my life. And so I found that true, uh, not only 
on those early visits when I was young, but when I came to visit here uh, to see about a scholarship, and I uh, visited a few other places like Lake Charles and Baton Rouge and, and Natchitoches, and, and none could compare to uh, the people of Lafayette, Louisiana. So I think more so than what I wanted to do playing football, uh, the people here uh, really made it very exciting for me to, to pick Lafayette as my new home. So you were an outside linebacker. Is I was. Is that correct? Yes. 1973 to 76. So I did a little digging, and it looks like when you started at, U at USL, which is what it was known then, the team wasn't maybe doing as well. But over those few years, things turned around dramatically. It was quite challenging. Uh, coach Russ Falkenberry, who was a very successful coach, um, was the head coach, and we, for whatever reason, couldn't put it all together. And we went 0-10. Fortunately, we only oh, had gosh. 10 games that season. <laughs> uh, and, of course, everybody was thinking about transferring and moving to another school. Just things did not uh, happen very well. There was a lot of dissension on the team. Uh, but most all of us, you know, stuck it out and, and uh, stayed here. And Coach Tamarella came in as the head coach. Sam Robertson mm -hmm. uh, came in. He was our defensive coordinator. And uh, we absolutely loved it. And, and those coaches did a great job of, of turning the program around. We went from the worst record in UL history to the best record up until two years ago. That's exciting. Yeah, uh, it really is. Yeah. So I guess the, the move went well for you. You also met your wife, Suzanne. Well, I actually met um, Suzanne back in Metairie, and oh. uh, she went to LSU her first year. And, and I always tell the story that she, you know, met 15,000 boys at LSU, and none of them were as good as I was. Well, so. that goes without saying. Uh, no question. <laughs> so, um, no, she transferred over after one year, and I think for the same reason. She would come visit mm -hmm. occasionally and, and see the type of culture that Lafayette had, and the people were just so, um, so generous to her and giving her time. And funny story, um, she heard a cheerleader um, once, you know, saying a cheer, and it was very Cajun. And uh, she was like, man, these people talk very funny. And three years, well, two years later, she was the sorority sister of that cheerleader. Oh, no. <laughs> and they actually roomed in the same apartment complex together in the same room. So um, how Small things world. turned around and what she thought was maybe uh, funny at first really turned around to be something she really appreciated. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, the other aspect of uh, Suzanne coming here, which was very important, was she got me on the right track. I was, uh, I was, I had my priorities a little bit messed up. I was football first, and and entertainment second, and then school third. And and Suzanne got me on the right track, and and got me really focused on my career and what I wanted to be. I started in civil engineering, and and really wasn't enjoying that curriculum. And and finally, I I took a bunch of different courses and and found accounting to be the the one for me, and so I ended up graduating still in, in four and a half years. Uh, I, I went to summer school and took a lot of classes. And so yeah, my wife graduated in four years. She started teaching, and I still had 21 hours left. Uh, so we, we made it work, and, and fortunately I was able to get a degree in accounting and wow. utilize that. We have a similar story. I graduated in four and a half years, too, with 21 hours in my last semester. Right. But mine was in general studies. So I, accounting has got to be one of the toughest curriculums. You really had to buckle down. Well, I, what I find is um, people that are in accounting, that stay in accounting, love accounting, mm -hmm. and it works. People that 
don't like accounting, get out after the first one. That's exactly what happened to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's, thank God for law school. <laughs> we would start uh, back then. We'd have classes of sixty, and then by yeah. the end of the semester, we've had we'd have twenty. Yeah, um, very natural. So what was Lafayette like? Obviously, you made the decision. I mean, did you stay here or did y'all move? We did stay. We never left. You never left. So what was Lafayette like in, I guess, 19, what, 76, 77? Um, yeah, was it was, it like it was small, obviously a smaller town, but I think the, the key to Lafayette's success was it was such a, such a warm, welcoming mm-hmm. culture that even people that came from Texas or Florida or anywhere else really enjoyed this culture so much that they wanted to stay here too. Um, I was very fortunate in that many of the people I went to school with were able to find jobs here and stay here. Uh, Still today, we have a group of 36 football players that tailgate, um, that we've tailgated since 1977. So it really is. And and so having a a large group of of college teammates and just college students that we knew Mm -hmm. uh, living in this part of the country was very welcoming and we had the opportunity to stay here because we both found jobs there have been times in in the Lafayette landscape where jobs weren't as easy to get and many people shipped out and went to other cities 10 years later yeah correct right Um, so we were very fortunate to to raise three daughters here Mm -hmm. and and have successful careers yeah it was booming I mean you were really here at the right time Lafayette was just booming. No question Oil about and it. gas and growth. So, so I know you didn't immediately start with Home Bank, but by 1981, you joined the Savings and Loan, the predecessor to Home Bank, as it's known now. Yes, I was a Medicare examiner, and if you know anything about Medicare <laughs> rules and regulations, nobody likes the Medicare examiner. Um, so I did that for three years to the day, and I interviewed. I had two interviews. I had an interview with Home Savings and Loan, and I had an interview with... Oakbourne Country Club to be the the CFO, if you will, of both. And that was a very difficult decision. Uh, I wasn't necessarily a prolific golfer, but I felt, man, this would be a pretty good yeah. landscape to hang out in. Right. Uh, but I chose Home Savings Loan. I saw some opportunity. Um, some of the leadership was getting up in age, so I thought maybe this can turn into something. Right. And so I started in 81. Things were really booming. Regulations had changed in 81 to allow savings and loans to have more banking powers than they had before. And uh, then all of a sudden, 83, with the oil and gas industry, uh, Lafayette started to fall apart and unravel. And so not only did I do the CFO duties, but I also uh, helped, you know, repossess properties and things of that nature because we, yeah. we did a lot of that from lot 80, of people, 83 to 90. A lot of people had bought a lot of condos, huh? There was a lot of real estate. Very cheap condos. Very yeah. cheap. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they bought them uh, expensive, expensive, and then, <laughs> and then yeah. very cheap in the right. auctions, right? How did Home Bank come out during that time? I mean, that must have been a rocky time. It was. It was tough. We uh, in December of '89, the regulators came in and put us under a supervisory agreement, and the reason for it was uh, we had to take significant losses on the properties that we were holding. Uh, it was hard, very hard to sell things. You could rent them, but you, you couldn't really sell them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had to take significant write-downs, which got our capital level before below regulatory limits. And so that's why they put us under the supervisor agreement. Um, that's also when I went to the board and said, um, I can run this thing. If, if you give me an opportunity, I can, I can save the bank. Um, but short of that, you've got a very small window to find someone. And, and mm-hmm. so that's when they gave the opportunity. And it was actually the, the week of Thanksgiving 
November of, of 1989, I became uh, managing officer of the bank and had a lot of work to do. Uh, great stories uh, come out of that. Of course, you, you yeah. be, desperation um, is is the mother of invention in the sense that we we did a lot of things. We sold some property. We sold some loans. We actually had some bearer bonds. I had an employee um, put them in a little fanny pack and fly up to New York. It was uh, $4.4 million of bearer bonds. Oh he didn't realize that he oh had that. Gosh. But um, that that created enough revenue for us on that gain to mm -hmm. keep us at 4.5% regulatory capital. Um, the only reason they didn't close us, there were a lot of banks that were worse off than we were. I was were. gonna say, you were surrounded, all your cohorts Correct. were in the same shape, if Correct. not worse. So we, uh, from that point, we started you know, really making a lot of money and, and making headway towards improving the bank. And, and what I tried to do was start hiring people that weren't f from the savings loan industry as much as from the commercial banking side mm -hmm. and trying to convert the culture of the bank from that of a savings loan to that right. of a commercial bank. And, and so spent many years trying to do that and hiring some great people, some of which are still with us today. That's amazing, people that have been with the bank long term and, and board members. Yes. I know you've had a loyal group with you. No question. And, and you know, that loyalty, I think, is, is paying off in the, in the sense that we've been able to grow and, mm -hmm. and prosper and do very well. So it's very exciting for many of us that have been around a long time. You know, I'm curious about the parallels between your banking experience and your football, your athletic experience. I never played competitive sports, but I, I know you had to be really competitive to compete as you did at that level. Was there, did that help you having, you know, brought that team from zero to 10 to a winning team? Do you bring those same qualities to yeah, the job? I think so. Um, there, I made this statement not too long ago at a UL function that um, there was a sign in my high school that luck is when preparation meets with opportunity. And I think that's what sports is all about, being prepared mm -hmm. to anticipate what's going to happen into the future. Well, I think, especially the way banking's going today, it's it's very important that you are prepared for what's going to happen next. And uh, it's when you're not prepared when bad things really happen or the bank potentially fails. So I, I think I have been prepared. I think I, I spend a lot of time being prepared of what can happen next. Where can we go next? What are the pitfalls surrounding that? So that preparation, I think, is extremely important to being successful. With all the news, you know, I've been immersed just watching TV, listening to what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. And I don't know if a bank such as Home Bank is affected, but I know that our larger banking systems in the country must be. Are you concerned about the U.S. banking system? Uh, we don't have a, a whole lot of connections. Uh, we have some customers that do some overseas mm -hmm. um, work, and so we'll do some wires sometimes uh, for them. Uh, but yeah, as far as the the larger banks are concerned, there there mm -hmm. got to be a little bit of concern as far as the European markets and what's happening potentially to them. Uh, I think the sanctions that are going to be put against Russia hopefully will slow this thing down or back it up a little bit, uh, especially if if a lot of countries stop buying their oil. I think that would be very uh, de de detrimental to their to their financing. So. It, it doesn't necessarily affect the U.S. banking system, but I know there are a lot of banks in the U.S. banking system that uh, deal worldwide, and I'm sure yeah. they are impacted significantly. I didn't mean to throw you a curveball, but it's just 
on everybody's mind. Like every day, there's some news about unexpected consequences. That, I, I keep thinking yeah. back to my parents who, who met each other uh, during World War II and, mm-hmm. and the black cloud that must have been over everyone's head then. And I, I, even though it's not in the United States, I, I feel as though uh, there is a black cloud over yeah. Earth right now and, and we've got we've to change that direction. Right. Well, I'd like to talk about Home Bank's growth. Before we get into that, we always look back at an interview. I pull my favorite interviews, and today I'd like to listen back to a clip with Popey Bio, who I know you know from J.B. Mouton Builders, a fifth-generation family-owned business operating since 1915. You don't stay in business this long unless you're offering a quality product. And in this clip, Popey shares his love of construction and ensuring quality workmanship. You can hear his interview, along with about 250 others, at discoverlafayette.net. This moment is made possible by FACET, which offers career transition services and executive coaching, and they've done so for 40 years. FACET's goals are to provide consistent, exceptional value by utilizing a holistic, tailored, and results-based approach to support candidates on their career journey. Visit facetgroup.com for more information. We people, your success. And now the, the moment. Not only do you love construction, but you love the science of building. Yes. And I want to put in the reputation you have for those, I'm sure everyone knows, but you have a reputation for being spot on in your estimating the cost of a project. But it's because you... You love what you do, and I'm yes. sure you investigate thoroughly. Can you talk about that? I mean, you studied this in, in college. Yes, I did. Um, I guess uh, to sum it up in a few words, and we tell clients of that, that uh, we tell them that you may pay for the building, but it's always ours, and that's <laughs> how we feel about it. Mm-hmm. And we, um, um, we aspire to be builders. Today, so much of the... Uh, construction work is done by people managing it that don't have the building skills. Uh, my dad was a builder. He was a, a very builder. He was an engineer uh, trained, but he, would, he very strongly believed in buildings, as was my nature. And so uh, back in the uh, late 80s and early 90s, when I started coming into a management role, uh, I realized what was happening to our industry, and we have always aspired to try to attract people to us that have the building skills, innate opportunity, uh, innate uh, uh, skills that you mm-hmm. just can't teach. You can um, you either have it or don't have it. You know, if uh, you know when you were young, if you could take apart a lawnmower and put it back together, you have those building skills. Mm-hmm. Or if you woman a woman and you knew how to sew, you understand how to fit and piecing and making things work and it's just an innate uh, uh, given skill that some people have and we've tried to uh, find those people and nurture them in our business too, uh, which makes us welcome back to discover lafayette so john home bank has grown so much before we started interviewing, I was looking at a, a picture of you downstairs from a, an interview you had done in 2011, and the bank was large then, but I think it was still in Louisiana. I think your footprint Correct. was across Louisiana, but now, I mean, Texas, um, Mississippi, Louisiana, it's incredible. 
It really is. We've been very fortunate. I uh, have a lot of people to thank for that that success. And and what we figured when we decided we were going to do the initial public offering in 2008, um, it was a it was a risky time. Uh, the, the economy was falling apart. Uh, the stock market was, was falling apart. And we decided to go out and raise $90 million on the day that the TARP bill was signed. So many said there's no way they're going to get that thing pushed mm-hmm. through. So on one of the worst days in U.S. financial history, Home Bank raised $90 million. So we were the <laughs> highest capitalized bank in the country. And then about a week later, we realized, what are we going to do with all this capital? And so we were able to take advantage by utilizing that capital to go out and, and buy other banks. Our first three acquisitions were cash deals, and, and so it helped us to utilize that capital in a good way to grow the balance sheet of the bank. And uh, I think we've gotten relatively proficient at it, and so we've continued to do that. Uh, we did our last one in um, 2018, which was actually it was December of 17, which is St. Martin Bank. And um, then, you know, we were kind of digesting that, and then COVID hit and kind of pushed us back a little bit as far as our agenda. We like to, you know, maybe every year and a half or so, uh, if a target is available, then we'd, we'd love to merge with another bank. So we've been very fortunate. We were looking in Texas before COVID hit, and uh, we're very fortunate to come across Texan Bank this year, and, and uh, or should I say last year, and we're converting them March 25th of this year. So very excited about the move to Texas, very excited about the team that we're bringing on in Texas and what they bring to the table, very talented bankers there. So, yeah, it's it's kind of different, uh, different states, and mm-hmm. uh, but for the most part, uh, good service goes well anywhere. So that's something that our culture, I think, is all about, is providing great service for our customers. And you're still perceived as the you know, home bank. You're, you're here. You're our home bank. Well, actually, you know, Home Bank is the only uh, Lafayette bank remaining. And when I first got into it in 1981, there there were probably a dozen in Lafayette, mm-hmm. and we are the only Lafayette bank. So I think that speaks volumes, once again, to our board and to our employees mm-hmm. for the hard work and dedication that they've put forth over the last mm-hmm. four decades. Your board members, I'm sure, strive for that. I mean, I know several of your board members, and they've got to be highly engaged. No question about yeah. it. And... and uh, that's something that I tell all the board members when they come on. Uh, be careful what you ask for. Being on a bank board carries with it a lot of liabilities. So if you're going to do it, unless you want to lose your balance sheet, um, <laughs> you better pay attention and, right. and make sure that we're going in the right direction. And, and having been from a background where we were under a supervisor agreement, I'm also very careful not to misstep and, and move the bank in a, in a very risky manner. So um, we, we do what we do and do it very, very well to make sure that we stay out of uh, any problems with the right. regulators. How do you have time for all of your community involvement? I mean, we, I want to get into that, but you've, you've really given a lot of time to our community, to Acadiana. Well, I, I think the community um, expects that, and I think you've been involved with a lot of different mm-hmm. nonprofits, and you see a lot of the same people um, from nonprofit to nonprofit, and I think it's it's more or less an age thing, I guess. Younger people are starting to come in now and take over some of the positions that that we've held. Uh, but I, I think it was very important for us to get our name uh, out in the public, and the best way to do that is to go meet with the public through these nonprofit mm-hmm. boards. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I know it's it's now one Acadiana, but just your work with uh, the Greater Lafayette Chamber of Commerce—that's 
that's a lot of work to get to be chair of that, you know, and a we, lot of time. <laughs> we spent, yes, it was a lot of time. We also spent a lot of time in, in uh, Baton Rouge trying to educate the legislators on some of the problems facing Acadiana at the time and then all of Louisiana. And, and I think uh, one Acadiana is doing a much better job of making sure that our, our government has a better understanding of the problems that our citizens are facing. And flooding is a big one here um, at, the, at the current moment. And, and I know locally we're, we're doing a lot to try and offset that, but we need to get state and federal involvement also. Right. You've been a um, driving force behind raising money for UL Lafayette's athletics. And I'd love for you to talk about that, founding the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation and your other work. It's made a huge difference in, in what's happened with um, their sports. We were, um, I was serving on this advisory board under Dr. Audemont, and I guess it was about the third or fourth year, and I had done a lot of research on other schools and their athletic foundations and, and how they started, and, and it was relatively simple in nature, uh, but a significantly different change for most universities because most universities did all their own fundraising. Most athletic foundations were outside of the university in the foundations themselves. So it was a big swing. So I actually walked up to um, Dr. Audemont I, after one of the meetings. I said, I'd really like to talk to you about creating an athletic foundation. And he says, okay, well, let's get together. And, and one thing led to another. And, and he basically says, why don't you just draft the, the bylaws yeah. and so um, had a couple of different people I worked with to help do that along with the foundation office and um, we we had it all drawn up and about that time Dr. Audemont says well I'm resigning and we're looking for a new president and of course Dr. Savoy who mm -hmm. I knew went to school with um, he came in and he says hey just give me a little bit of time here we'll We'll look at that RCAF um, document and, and try and move that forward pretty soon. And at the same time, we were hiring a new athletic director. So it all worked. It took a little bit longer than we wanted to, but it all worked out really well to where uh, we kicked it off in 2008 and as the first fundraiser. And, you know, modest returns at the beginning, but I think it's it's been great for UL Athletics ever since. It's made such a huge difference, and I know um – You've inspired others to give really big gifts. And I do want to mention, I know that Home Bank recently made a $1 million donation to the Louisiana uh, UL Athletic Department's renovation, right, of, of Cajun Field. But, Correct. I mean, there's been a lot of huge donations along with Home Bank's generosity. Well, um, it, it's definitely a legacy donation mm -hmm. for Home Bank. Uh, we have so many employees here that either attended or graduated from UL, so it's a natural fit for us to support uh, the athletic department. Personally, myself, having played in the the old Cajun field, which was built two years before I showed up here in 1971, uh, so it, it needs some renovations, as as most buildings do. And I think we've done a great job of renovating a lot of our buildings on campus itself, but not that one. There's been a lot of other philanthropic work, too. I mean, these are all so time-consuming. United Way of Acadiana, Community Foundation, Women and Children's Hospital. I can attest to being on a school board, Ascension Episcopal. I mean, each one of these is kind of like full-time volunteer, and yet you've done that while the bank's been growing. You know, my kids were at Ascension, and I thought it was a great thing to get involved. That was a growing school. Um, 
and and at the time only went from first to fifth grade, mm-hmm. and we were very very excited when we were able to get it up to eighth eighth grade. My, in fact, my youngest daughter was in, my only child that actually stayed at Ascension through the eighth grade. And then eventually they decided they were going to replace me on the board, and they put Matt Steller on in my place. And, <laughs> and then we built the high school. So if, if you have to be replaced by someone, I guess <laughs> Matt's, a, Matt's a good one. <laughs> Gosh, and then your Mardi Gras service, if you can talk about that. I know you've put in so much time as um, serving on the executive committee of Greater Southwest. You know, growing up in New Orleans, Mardi Gras is a big thing, mm-hmm. and uh, I have vivid memories of uh, going my across the street neighbor's dad had horses and they rode in almost every parade and I was able to go with them at the beginning of the parade and then getting pick up the horse and all at the end of the parade so I did that every night of the week just about and so Mardi Gras was really always in my blood and and coming here and, and yeah. wanting to keep Lafayette Mardi Gras going strong mm-hmm. very important at one point, um, I was in three crews. My wife was in, in uh, one other. So we're, we're still very engaged in, in Mardi Gras, but I think the, the behind-the-scenes work of, of the parades, of the ball. It's incredible. It's a lot of work. It, yeah. It's a year-long thing, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm just so happy to have been involved with that for so yeah. long. I was probably on the Greater Southwest Board for about 20 years. You were? Yeah. Wow. Not in the leadership role but until still, the very end. Yes. the service. For people that don't realize that, you know, we'll just show up for a parade and hope that we get beads and don't get, you know, smacked in the head or something. But I didn't realize till my husband John was involved with right. you um, how much work it is. And it's free to the public. Right. But there is so much work coordinating the floats, um, you know, the crews getting the parade permits, working with the police, the sheriff, uh, cleaning up. There's just so much that goes into it, and all for a free party for everybody. One of, the, one of the greatest accomplishments, I think, of Greater Southwest Mardi Gras Association was the fact that we funded all of the barricades for the entire route. I didn't realize that. That makes Lafayette Mardi Gras one of the safest Mardi Gras um, in the state, and and. You know, if we ever had to change the route, I guess we'd have to find some more barricades somewhere. But uh, it's been it's been outstanding to be able to have the safety that we have mm-hmm. with no one coming up under the floats and right. problems that are associated with that. So, yeah, that's been a godsend. But also just the hard, dedicated volunteers mm-hmm. that that are on that board every year. Right. So last year you were honored by UL, if I read that correctly, 2021. Yes. UL alum of the year. How did that feel? You know, um, when you take on leadership roles in, in various nonprofits and such, you don't do it. I, I don't think anyone does it for the recognition. You do it because you want to make a difference. And um, all of my nonprofit work and, and all of my UL work is just because I wanted to make a difference. And I was involved in a lot of different areas with the university. I was president of the S Club, which was the Association of Ex-Athletes, and uh, that was a job you couldn't get rid of. I think I was president for about <laughs> 10 or 12 years. But we hosted Spring Fest a couple of years, uh-huh. and, and, and it was a great, great event. It eventually made some money. Unfortunately, um, 
it went in the wrong direction, and eventually we, we gave it up. But it was tied to Memphis in May, and we had a, bar, a barbecue championship cook-off, and the winner went to Memphis in May for the national championship. So <laughs> we've done a lot of great things Fine. along the way to help yeah. try and raise money for UL and UL Athletics. And uh, so it's just been great, coupling that with the Alumni Association and, and getting people back involved in the university and having great homecoming events. Uh, one, of, one of the things that uh, is kind of funny today, wasn't so funny back then, but um, when I was coming up to be chair, the year before I was chair, um, we had an opportunity to buy the Hyman House um, for the Alumni Association. I was very engaged in negotiations for that. And uh, anyway, uh, another bank uh, financed the purchase for the <laughs> Alumni Association, and, and my name, I had to sign on that note. And oh I thought, gosh. well, every year the new president coming in is going to sign on the note. Well, that didn't happen. So after about 10 years, we finally paid off the note, and, and they ripped it all up, and my name was still on there. So I didn't realize I, I owed that bank money all those years. That's fun. But uh, what a great addition to what a beautiful building. the UL Alumni Association. Yeah. No That's question. one of my favorite venues. Yes, it is. For weddings or just events. So, mm -hmm. gosh. Well, um, I'd like to know, as we're winding down, advice you might give to kids that are in college or people looking for a career. What, what am I going to do? What can you say about banking? I think banking's changing. Um, one aspect is changing, and that's the technology, and some people never go to a bank. Uh, but more so on the commercial side, people need the advice of bankers and, and how they're going to finance their projects that they want to do, startup businesses or whatever. And so I think the, the beauty of having um, a relationship with a customer is, is it's good for both parties in the sense that the customers really need advice to make sure that they're getting the, the right financing for what they're trying to do. And, and the bankers are looking after their best interest in, in getting that financing. So I think together it, it comes together. And so while many people on the consumer side don't step in a bank, uh, most people on the commercial side still do. Uh, so I think it's a, it's an extraordinary relationship. And uh, in fact, we call our commercial lenders relationship managers because that's what they do. They they yeah. handle all the aspects of all their customers, which makes it so important. Especially small business. No question we about it. We don't know it. what to do. You know? Well, and, and there's a learning curve uh, that we've done several times. And so a new customer coming in, absolutely, they, we can give mm -hmm. them some of the expertise that we've picked up over the years. I don't think my youngest daughter knows how to write a check. She's 23. Not, not many do. I get it. I mean, it. she's never had physical checks, and I don't think, you know, it's kind of like addressing a letter. It's a, it's a painful <laughs> experience, but things have changed for me fast, but it really has been an evolution. We're actually doing some advertising now asking people to stop writing checks. I saw that. I heard um, that, yeah. So, you know, it's becoming where it was the, the means by which we conducted financial transactions. Uh, now it's a detriment because they're able to be duplicated and copied. And mm -hmm. uh, the, in fact, just uh, last month there were several break-ins of postal boxes, people stealing letters to get the checks so they could duplicate the checks and steal out of Gosh. customers' accounts. So uh, checks are a thing of the past, and and unfortunately mm -hmm. we, we still have a lot of customers that transact business through checks. And we're trying to change that rapidly because yeah. the debit and credit cards are a lot more secure. You know, my husband, John, is a check writer. 
I mean, even at church. I'm like, John, you can just give online, but he's just, he's a check guy. And I'm going to have to get him to listen to this. <laughs> well, it's important because uh, unfortunately <laughs> the bad guys are still out there and they're yeah. trying to find the easiest way to the, your money. So, um, yeah, checks are right now the easiest way to get right. there. Right. So if you want to become a banker, do you need to study business these days or do you hire people? You know, what, what are good fields for them to study in college? Absolutely. I think a, a good business uh, acumen is very important. Uh, you don't have to have necessarily an accounting degree, but a finance or general business, something of that nature, just so you understand the financial aspects of what's going on, being able to calculate interest. Now, we have computers that do a lot of that, but when you're counseling a customer, you're going to want to be able to <laughs> pull out a calculator and mm-hmm. show them. Uh, with confidence. Yeah. With confidence, absolutely. So, right. uh, But actually, I think a more important trait is your ability to converse with, with the customers themselves and, and making them feel confident in mm-hmm. your knowledge. Right. And so that's probably just as important as, as what you come to um, from school with is having that confidence in yourself to be able to deliver those products and services. Mm-hmm. John Bordelon, we're all lucky that you stayed, that you moved here and stayed here. Well, I, I tell you, I can't imagine living anywhere else. I, I always said if I left Lafayette, I would go to North Carolina. My mom's from North Carolina and all my relatives are up there. And, and um, But I can't ever imagine leaving here. It's right. a great place. Well, I'm glad you made that decision, and I hope you stay with Home Bank for many, many years. Well, Still I can't guarantee man. that, but <laughs> <laughs> 41 years is a long time for anyone to stay in one position. It, it's a great, great career. Yes. Thank you and Home Bank for your support of Discover Lafayette, and thank you for your service, too, to our community. Well, thank you, and I appreciate the opportunity to meet yeah. with you. Yeah. I want to thank our listeners, too, for their loyal support. Um, John, as I was saying, we've done over 250 interviews, so um, your support means a lot. I'd also like to thank Oxner, Lafayette General, Facet, and in particular Raider, and Jason Sikora, who mixes our tape and makes it um, sound better than I would. Thank you all for your support, and Home Bank, our newest sponsor. On behalf of Discover Lafayette, this is Jan Swift.